The walls of the city of Jerusalem were mere rubble. This news made Nehemiah very sad. So Nehemiah began to rebuild. He led the people day in and day out. Enemies attacked, but they overcame. God helped them finish the work in only 52 days. The Jews who had once been in captivity now returned home. Building a Legacy, the story of Nehemiah. Good morning, Orchard. Take out your Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. I'm going to give you a little time to get there. It's a kind of a hard book to find. On my Bible, it's on page 548. I have no idea if that helps you or not, but maybe it'll get you in the ballpark. Um, today, we're going to continue to talk about building a legacy. You know, my wife asked me a question last night as I was looking over my message one more time that I don't think she's ever asked me this in 22 years of marriage and full-time ministry. She said, do you ever get nervous before Sunday morning when, you, when you've got to speak? And I said, no, not really. I get anxious and excited, but I don't usually get nervous. And then this morning, I thought, you know what? There are some Sundays I do actually get nervous. When the Broncos play at 11 o'clock, <laughs> that makes me nervous. So thanks for coming to the 930 service this morning. Um, we, the last four weeks, have been in this series called Legacy Campaign, and this is week four of our Legacy Campaign. The first three weeks, we talked about our disciple-making process, reaching people for Christ, relating people in small groups, reproducing in one-on-one -on -one discipleship. We never want to stop uh, that vision. We never want to stop doing that process because we've seen God bless that for 10 years. If you missed any of that, go to our website, orchardchurch.tv, and watch those. And we're continuing today talking about building a legacy. This is all into the legacy campaign. This is all moving and, and heading to a climax on November 8th when we're going to have our commitment Sunday of our legacy campaign. And so the next three weeks we're going to talk about the story of a man named Nehemiah. And I truly believe these next three weeks are going to be life-changing and historic, not only for us corporately as a church, but individually for some of you as God just grips your hearts and gets a hold of your heart and that you align your heart with God's hearts and plans and purposes to redeem people and save people. And this is really the part of our campaign where it goes from we as a church to me. God, what are you asking me to do? God, what are you leading me to do? And I believe with all my heart that God wants to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And one person agrees with me. That is so encouraging. Let me say that again. I believe with all my heart that God wants to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. There you go. That's what I'm talking about, 930. Now, let me, let me say this to you to encourage you this morning as we begin. If you are the best of the best, I mean, if you like were straight-A student in high school, valedictorian, 4.2, whatever, if you were the captain of the football team, captain of the cheerleading team, voted most likely to succeed, I have some good news for you. God can still use you. He can. But God, most of the time, chooses to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Amen? Amen? Now, let me tell you a little bit about Nehemiah before we jump into this. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 today. Nehemiah was an ordinary guy. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a king. He was an ordinary guy. And his job and his responsibility was a cupbearer. 
You say, what's a cupbearer? He was a cupbearer to the king of the Persian Empire. We would kind of call him like a modern day butler. And what he would do is he was the wine taster for the king. So before the king would receive his wine, Nehemiah would drink it and sip it to make sure that it was okay and it wasn't poison. Now some of y'all are like, I said wine taster and you're like, oh, I'd like that job. But here's the only problem. You're going to have one bad day on that job, and then you're not going to have that job anymore. Because people would sometimes try to poison the king, and so the cupbearer would taste it first. They'd wait a little time, and if he didn't keel over, then they knew it was okay. You're only going to have one bad day on the job with that. And so it sounds like a good thing, but it really wasn't. But as he's being the cupbearer, and he's doing his job as the wine taster of the king, something happened. He heard some news that gripped his heart. And that caused him to leave a legacy in 52 days. The rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. When he heard about this, it bothered him. It broke his heart. The walls of Jerusalem had been down for some 140 years. Now you say, well, why were the walls of Jerusalem down? The the walls of Jerusalem were down because God had told his people... Israel, He said, if you obey me and you trust me and follow my word, I'm going to bless you. But if you disobey me, I'm going to have to punish you. And there was a time where they disobeyed God. They were following false gods and false idols. So God punished them. And the way he punished them is he sent their enemies, the Babylonians, in. And they destroyed the temple. They destroyed the walls. And they took most of the Jews into captivity. And they made them slaves, basically, in captivity for like 70 years. And so the walls had been left in ruins for 140 years. And you can imagine how demoralizing and defeating this would have been for Israel. I mean, this would be like saying the walls and defenses of the United States have been down since the late 1800s. Well, after 70 years of captivity and slavery, there was a small group of people, a remnant, that were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And they were only able to rebuild the temple. And it was just sort of a makeshift temple. And so they could kind of start worshiping their God again and our God, the Jehovah God, the true God again. But the walls were still in rubble. And this, was, this made them very vulnerable. They had no defenses. Um, this was very embarrassing to them. And Israel felt very helpless and hopeless. If you're with me, say yes. That's the situation. That's the context. And Nehemiah hears about this all the way in Persia, a thousand miles away. And he's overtaken with emotion. And he says, this isn't right. Somebody's got to do something about this. And and, and I want to say that Nehemiah had what I'm going to call a Popeye moment. How many of y'all remember Popeye? You know, remember? I'm Popeye the sailor man. Yeah. Awesome. And, And you remember Popeye had this arch enemy whose name was Brutus, and Brutus would pick on his girlfriend, and can we just call it what it is? His girlfriend, Olive Oil, was ugly. I don't know why Popeye was so attracted to Olive Oil. She was U-G-L-Y, he ain't got no alibi, ugly. But he saw something in Olive Oil that he liked, and Brutus would always try to capture Olive Oil and all this they'd fight over, and then, and then, you know, there'd be some injustice that would take place. And, and Popeye would come to this, this point and help me out. Do you remember what he would say? That's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. And he would squeeze the spinach. You know, he'd get muscles, you know, and, big, and he would do something about it. And here's what he was saying. Somebody has got to do something about this. And it might as well be me. Can we say that together? Because that's our key thought this morning. And I hope you'll put this in your notes. Say it with me. Somebody has got to do something about this. And it might as well be me. 
That was Nehemiah's Popeye moment. When he heard about the walls of Jerusalem being down, he said, somebody has got to do something about this. This, this is God's city. These are God's people. This is God's place. And this isn't right. Ten years ago, Shelly and I and our family had a Popeye moment when we recognized that Denver is the fourth most unchurched metropolitan city in the country that desperately needs churches. 95% of the people in this area, in our community, claim no church affiliation. And many of them don't know Christ. And we said, somebody's got to do something about this. And it might as well be us. And we stepped out in faith and joined God where he was at work. And we've seen God do incredible things for the last 10 years. What causes you to say, Some, somebody's got to do something about this. And it might as well be me. And my prayer for all of us collectively and individually as this campaign goes from we to me is that we would all desire to be legacy builders. Ordinary people where God does extraordinary things. And that God would not just grip one family's heart, but he would grip a church's heart. Some 1,400, 1,500 people, probably 2,000 people if we all got here on the same day and the Broncos aren't playing at 11, that would call Orchard Church their home church. What could God do through 2,000 people that get a burden for this? This community and the 55,000 people within 10 minutes drive that claim no church affiliation and many of them that don't know Jesus. What could God do as we all say we're ordinary people, but we want to see God do extraordinary things. I want to be a legacy builder because there are broken walls that are down in our community all around us. They're not physical walls. They're spiritual walls. There's, there's people that are struggling. There's marriages that are crumbling. There's families that are being broken down and falling apart. And they feel helpless and they feel hopeless. And, and I, I just, I'm, I'm begging God, God, would you put in the hearts of our people a burden that we would all say, somebody has got to do something about this. And it might as well be me. And if that's you, and if God is already starting to speak to your heart a little bit this morning... Let me show you three qualities of ordinary legacy builders and what it's going to take for us to see God do the extraordinary through ordinary people. Three qualities that we see from the life of Nehemiah. I hope you'll take some notes. The first quality is this. If you want to be a legacy builder, you have to have this first quality. You've got to be willing to sit down and cry. You've got to be willing to sit down and cry. Let's pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 1. And this took place in about 444 B.C., about 400 years before the birth of Christ. And it says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. You've got to be careful with that one. It came to pass in the month of Chislev. Now, some of y'all are like, Chislev? That is not on my calendar. That's on the Jewish calendar. It would be around November, December. So the months that are just coming up for us. In the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel. You're like, okay, where's Shushan? That's not on my map today. That would be Persia at that time. Today, it's modern-day Iran. That's where Nehemiah is. He's in the palace. He's with the king. He's the cupbearer. He's doing his job. That Hananiah, one of my brethren, one of the Jews, came with men from Judah. The land of Israel, some thousand miles away. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, that 70 years, and concerning Jerusalem, God's holy city. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great what, church? Distress and reproach. This is not good. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now watch Nehemiah's response. 
So it was when I heard these words that I, help me out church, sat down and wept. I sat down and I cried and I mourned for many days. This wasn't just a moment. Many days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. If you want to be a legacy builder, you first got to have the quality that, that God, uh, you allow God to break your heart about some things to the place where you're willing to sit down and cry. Now, think about the context of this. Nehemiah lived in Persia, a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. And it's not like he could hop on a plane and jet over there in a couple of hours. And he was living in a palace. He had all the luxuries and comforts of the palace. He had the status of being the wine taster and cupbearer to the king. He had a 401k plan. He had health care. He had dental benefits. He had life insurance policy. He had profit sharing probably. I mean, this guy had it going on. And he could have heard this news about what was going on in Jerusalem and the walls being broken down. And he could have been like, oh, that's really sad. You know, that's really unfortunate. That's a real bummer. That's not really my problem. But he didn't. He sat down and he did what, church? He cried. He wept. He sat down and he cried. And as we're going to see in a moment, he's going to be willing to give up some luxuries in order to leave a legacy. And there's a message right there, church. If we're going to see God do extraordinary things to ordinary people in an ordinary church, we have got to come to the same place that Nehemiah came to, that we're willing to give up some luxuries in order to leave a legacy and see God do amazing things. But it starts by sitting down to cry. God has got to get a hold of our hearts. And this was when he cried. It says he, he mourned and he fasted for several days. This was not just like a little sniffle. This was ugly cry. You know what I'm talking about, ladies? Makeup's running, snot's flying. I mean, this is ugly cry. And he's not crying for himself. He's living in a palace. He's crying for someone else. When's the last time God moved us to tears because of someone else's condition? Because of someone else that doesn't know Jesus the way we know Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. God's got to grip our heart till we come to the place and say, somebody has got to do something about this and it might as well, come on, well be me. If you can't say it, you're not going to do it. Somebody's got to do something about this, and it might as well be me. That's what brought us to this community 10 years ago. That's what keeps us in this community. And we're not planning on going anywhere anytime soon. Because there is a work to be done. There's a job to be done. There's still, you know, we could listen, Orchard Church, and, and listen, I'm just going to apologize right up front. If any of you guys got word what happened in the first service, I was off the hook. And so I'm just going to tell you right now, you're going to see some passion in Pastor Doug that you maybe have never seen or not in a long time. Because I want you guys to get in your heart what God put in our heart 10 years ago that this church was started on. And we could get to the place right now as Orchard Church and we could say, we just celebrated our 10th anniversary. We filled Prairie View High School football stadium with all of the people that we've reached. And we put the pictures all over Facebook. And we could sit back on our laurels and go, look what God has done and enjoy our palace. Or we can say, there's still... Thousands of people that need Christ right here in this community. We can sit back and we can go, well, the Orchard Church is too big. We got 1,500 people coming. We can get our eyes on that or we can get our eyes on the 55,000 people that still don't know Jesus. And I, I'm telling you, as long as I'm the pastor and as long as I'm here, this will never be an us for and no more church. 
And this will never be a Christian social club. We are here from marching orders from Jesus Christ to make disciples. And that's what we're going to do until he comes back. That's what we're here to do. Okay, i got to settle down again. But seriously, I feel like God has put this burning fire and passion in my heart for... For some of you, not all of you, so many of you, as we've been meeting with you in small groups and, and, and different things and meetings, you've caught this vision, you've caught this passion. But there's others that are just, you come in and you leave, and you come in and you leave, and we're glad you're here, we're thankful you're here. But you know what? Get off the sideline and get in the game. Be a part of what God is doing. But it starts by being willing to sit down and cry and ask God to truly break your heart for somebody else. Because every one of you, you have co-workers, you have neighbors, you have family members. How many of you know someone in your sphere of influence that does not know Jesus Christ as, your Lord, as their Lord and Savior? Raise your hand. That should grip our hearts. That should break our hearts like it did Nehemiah's. To say somebody has got to do something about this. And it might as well be me. We need to have the same response and burden that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, had when he rode into Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19. And it said he looked over the city of Israel and they were like people scattered, sheep scattered with no shepherd. And he wept and he cried. May we see our community and our city in that way. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Is it child abuse? That breaks my heart. Is it human trafficking? Is it poverty? Is it all the shootings we've been seeing around our country? Those things should break our heart. Amen. But can I challenge you to take it a step further and not just look at the physical and look at the spiritual? And we see the shootings that happened in Aurora and Charleston, and most recently in Oregon. And those things break our heart that those people lost their lives. But don't let it stop there. The question I always ask myself when I hear about those shootings is this. Where are those people now? Because those people that were killed in all those shootings the moment their life was taken. They woke up that day, they went to work, they went to school, they had no idea that they were about to meet their maker. And every one of those people is spending an eternity somewhere today. You know, we say, we ask people, do you have eternal life? Let me tell you, Orchard Church, everybody has eternal life. It just depends on where. Everybody's either going to spend an eternity in heaven with God, their creator, forever and ever, or they're going to spend an eternity in a place my Bible calls hell. Ooh, we don't say that word in church anymore. Well, we do at Orchard Church because it's a Bible word. And you know, maybe if we would get a glimpse of hell for just a moment this morning and separation from God and the torment that is going to happen for all eternity, maybe that would break our hearts for some of our loved ones and friends. Do we care about that? Do we care and are we willing to do something about it? What breaks your heart? Let me tell you this. I know what breaks God's heart. Based on this book, on the Bible, you know what breaks God's heart? Lost people. People that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It broke his heart so much that he said, somebody's got to do something about this and it might as well be me. And he left the throne room of heaven and he became a God, became man in God in the flesh, deity. And he went to the cross 2,000 years ago and he died on the cross for our sins. He paid the ultimate price and sacrifice to save us and forgive us. Are you thankful for that, Orchard Church? And you know why he did that? Because he loves people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish 
but have everlasting life in heaven with God. And it broke God's heart enough to do something about it. Will it break our heart enough to do something about it? To say somebody's got to do something about this and it might as well be me. So that we can see more families and individuals' lives changed. Like this one you're about to see. Pretty much a decade, we would try one church a year, or you know, couple churches, couple churches, and nothing was ever the right fit. I mean, every excuse that you could find, why not to go to church? We could find that. We had tried Orchard a couple times, uh, where we'd went once, and not really. I don't think really took it serious at any level, and we actually at some point even it said that you know that isn't the right fit for us we had went to Christmas Eve service uh, Laura and I went and we had three kids and we're dressed up it's Christmas Eve and in the Christmas Eve service that year uh, they had a children's play and the children were piling out onto the stage and and uh, it, it hit me that Addison was staring at me and she had a question for us and when we got home that night I, I asked her you know Addison what was the look and Really, the you know what came out of her mouth is she she couldn't understand why she was not on that stage and part of the play, and that was really the first time it hit me um, that we needed to be in church. I didn't want to. I figured that the Christmas Eve service was perfect and it was enough, and I didn't need to be back there again. However, January rolled around and he got up and got the kids ready all by himself and was getting ready to leave the house when I finally realized he really means it this time. He is going to go. That year, Easter rolled around and they did a thing called cardboard testimonies and they would have a sin on one side and a God on the other and that had a huge impact on, on myself and had a monstrous impact on Laura. The thing that hit me so hard is there was not a single card up on that stage that I didn't relate to. And I felt like... Well, I felt like that was my life on that stage that day. And I had been secretly challenging God and saying, you know, I don't think that you can forgive me. I don't think that there is enough forgiveness for me and the choices that I have purposely made in my life. That was the day that I told God, you think you have enough? We'll see. December 17th that year, I accepted Christ into my life at, um, at Buffalo Run with Doug. It was more clear to me than I've ever been in my life that God's real. That following Easter, they were planning on doing the first baptisms in the school, and Scott had made the decision that he was going to be baptized. The conversation came up on several occasions of, you know, why don't you get baptized with me? I'd already been baptized. I accepted Christ into my life when I was eight, and I didn't feel like I needed to do it again. It was at the cardboard testimonies, it wasn't just me offering up a challenge to God. It was the day that I raised my hand, saying that if he could handle it, I'd be willing to give it another try. I agreed 
to get baptized with Scott that Sunday. It was in that moment, it was a physical um, event for me. And I felt God so clearly. And I felt like he was telling me that my grace is enough for you, Laura. That day at the orchard, um, on the stage, in a horse trough or a cow trough, water trough, uh, 92 people got baptized. Uh, Laura and I were first and second, and our, life will, our lives will never be the same. Laura and I have considered about moving. The thing that keeps us in the community would be our connection with the orchard and uh, the people within the orchard. I just love being a part of it. I love watching our kids wanting to be a part of it. I love um, how our relationship has shifted and grown. And I know it's because of God and I know it's because of Orchard. And everything that we continue to learn, have learned, and look forward to learning together as a couple. We celebrate that. Awesome. You know, and I, as I watch that video and the ones we've been showing every week during this legacy campaign, I can't help but think how many more families are out there just like that? How many more individuals are out there that are next door? We work with family members that are just waiting to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's got to start with us, God breaking our heart and being willing to sit down and cry and have enough of a burden that we do something about it. Because ordinary legacy builders, first thing they do is they sit down and cry. Here's, here's the second thing, the second quality you see from Nehemiah. Not only do they sit down and cry, and it changes their heart, but they kneel down to pray. They kneel down to pray. Look at verse 4. It says, Nehemiah says, So when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and I was doing what, church? I was praying before the God of heaven. I was praying. You know, as we have this legacy campaign, you, you may feel like I'm just one person, we're just one couple, we're just one family. We don't have a lot of things or means or finances. What, what can I really do? Well, I'll tell you what we can all do. We can pray. Amen? We can all pray. And I hope you will be praying. We, if you go to our website that we designed just for the legacy campaign, it's called orchardlegacy.com. There's a 40-day prayer devotional that every day you can be praying you know, for our community, for our leaders, for our church, that God will continue to work. Pray for our church as we get ready and we prepare our hearts to align our hearts with God's plans and purposes and redemptive plan for this community and around the world. That we pray, God, what, what, what do you want me to do? Don't pray this. Listen, don't pray, God, what can I do? Don't pray, what do I want to do? Pray, God, what do you want me to do? That, that's a bold prayer, amen? And that's all we can ask. You know, we're not going to beg people to give something. We're not going to twist people's arms. We're not going to guilt trip people. But we're going to ask you to honestly come before God and say, God, what do you want me to do? And I believe if people will truly step out with faith-filled responses of obedience, that's all we can ask for. Amen, Orchard Church? That I, you know, I say, I want to be a part of this. L let me say this. I'm going to say some bold statements today. And I know that they teeter on the verge of upsetting somebody. But sometimes we need a wake-up call. And I'm just getting the cards on the table today. 
Let me just tell you, because some of you are thinking this legacy campaign is just all about raising a bunch of money to build a building. And it's not about that. It's about changing more lives in this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ and having room to do that. And let me just say this. If you pray, if you honestly seek God and you pray and God doesn't lay on your heart to give a dime, then don't give a dime. Because if you give and your heart's not in it, you're not, God's not going to bless you for it anyway. And let me tell you something else, Ultra Church. God doesn't need your money. When we start thinking God needs our money, <laughs> God doesn't need our money. Orchard Church doesn't need your money. God has blessed this church and provided for our needs for 10 years. He'll provide for the next 10 years. This is our heart. It's not about what we want from you. It's about what we want for you. It's so that you can know when that building is built that you don't see a building and you don't see a cool exterior and you don't see lights and you don't hear it see sound. You see hundreds and thousands of people reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ and lives continue to be changed just like the Nordbys we just saw. And that you're able to go, I had a part in that. Because you would be investing in something with eternal value. There's not a lot of things we can invest in today that have eternal value. So pray, God, what do you want me to do? You know, what, what, what do you want me to commit, God? Pray for the lost in our community that still need Jesus Christ. Pray. We can all pray. Amen? Because God plus one is always a majority. And God can do amazing things. This is the first of 12 prayers in Nehemiah. And some of you this morning, you need to hear this because you're facing something in your life. You're facing a challenge. You're facing a difficulty. You feel like there's some walls that are down in your life and, and your situation and your circumstances look impossible. I'm here to tell you, Orchard Church, some good news this morning. With God, all things are possible. Well, I had a man just this morning. He's been coming to our church for several years. He's in a small group. He, he started getting these lumps on his neck, these tumors. And the doctors feared that, that it's cancer. They just knew it was cancer. They ran some biopsies and couldn't find any cancer. His small group started praying for him, fervently praying for him. They, they, they checked him. They couldn't find any cancer. They did three MRIs last week, and they said they are all gone. There's nothing there. Can we celebrate that this morning? That's the power of prayer. That's the power of prayer. You, you know, when we first stepped out on faith to plant Orchard Church 10 years ago, I had several pastors tell me, if you don't have a building of your own in three years, you'll never make it. Well, God had other things in mind, didn't he? You know, I've had other pastors say, you can't ever buy land and build a building here in this community. It's just too much money. You, you can't do it. And you know, there were many years we thought they're right. We'll just keep meeting at Prairie View High School. We'll just keep doing ministry. We'll keep reaching people for Christ. And you know, and if God wants us to have a building of our own, he'll do it. And we just left it in God's hands. Well, God's done a miracle. Amen. God has made it possible. That's the power of prayer. So what are the qualities of a legacy builder? God's got to get a hold of your heart. You've got to be willing to sit down and cry. You've got to be willing to kneel down and pray. And pray that you would align your heart with God's heart and God's purposes. Because God loves lost people. And number three, here's the third one. You've got to be willing to stand up and act. And this is where a lot of people stop. They, they, they cry and they pray, but they don't do anything. They don't come to the place in their life where they say, somebody has got to do something about this. Help me out and it might as well be me. And Nehemiah was willing to not only sit down and cry and kneel down and pray, but he was willing to stand up and act. Watch what happens in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, 
But I took the wine, that's his job, and I gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Because if you were sad in the presence of the king and you kind of brought his mood down, he could have you thrown in prison. He could have you killed. And he's, but, he's, but, he's, but he's heartbroken over the walls of Jerusalem being down and he, and he can't contain himself. Verse 2, therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of what? Heart. God was doing a work in his heart. So I became dreadfully afraid because he knew he could be thrown in prison or killed. And I said to the king, now watch this. This is a biblical principle, thus saith the Lord. He's about to make a request of the king, but he first butters the king up. If you're going to make a request of a king, you better butter him up first. He says to the king, may the king live forever. You are such a great king. You're such an awesome king. Did you get your hair cut? Have you lost weight? Your teeth look really white. He butters him up. It's okay. Do that. And then he says, why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates have been burned with fire? And then the king said to me, what do you request? Wouldn't that be cool to have a king ask you that? What do you want? I'm a king. What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, this isn't prayed several days. He threw up a little flare prayer, you know, right there on the spot. He says, I prayed and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight. Now, help me out, church. I ask that you send me to Judah. You send me on the thousand mile journey to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. What was he saying? Somebody has got to do something about this and it might as well be me. I'm willing to leave some luxuries to leave a legacy. And 2,400 years later, here we are at Orchard Church talking about the legacy builder of Nehemiah. Because one man was willing to step out in faith and say, somebody's got to do something about this and it might as well be me. You see, it's not enough just to cry and get emotional about lost people. It's not enough just to pray for lost people. We got to be willing to stand up and act and do something about it. Amen, Orchard Church? we got to be willing to do our part to say this is not okay. It's not okay with me that 55,000 people claim no church affiliation within a 10-minute drive of Prairie View High School. And many of them do not know Jesus. That's not okay. I'm not going to let that happen. And I hope some of you will say the God of heaven has given me a burden. The God of heaven has broke my heart. I mean, look what God has done with a family of four people. A small family of four people. And look what he's done in 10 years. But what could God do with a couple of thousand people that gets a burden for this community? And, and, and that it would make us, I, I pray that God would make us miserable about the lost people in our community. And that our misery would lead us to greater ministry. Because I don't believe that God is done with Orchard Church. I believe he's just getting started. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe this is going to speak to some of you in a powerful, life-changing, historic way. When you leave today... All of you are going to receive something new. It's our Orchard Legacy brochure. You're going to get this when you guys leave today. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to beg you guys, please read this. It won't, it won't take you very long. Read through this. It talks about the what's, the why's, the wins of, of the Legacy campaign. And uh, it talks about our goals. We have three goals, a three, four, and a five million dollar goal to raise that amount of money over and above the regular tithes and offerings for three years. If we were to be able to raise, raise the extraordinary goal, $5 million, we would save $3.2 million in interest on the loan. That's $3.2 million that we can give to ministry instead of maintenance, instead of a loan. Would that be okay, Orchard Church? 
But it's a God-sized goal. It's an extraordinary goal. And God's going to have to get a hold of all of our hearts to see that realized. On the back page, you're going to see a commitment chart. And what you're going to see is how we might be able to see a $5 million extraordinary goal accomplished as people do their part. It's not equal gifts. It's not equal amounts. It's equal sacrifice. If that makes sense, say yes. Because God has blessed us all differently. When they built the temple and the tabernacle, it says they brought everything from gold to goat hair. And we're not, God's not asking people that have only been blessed with goat hair to bring gold. And God is not, also not asking people who've been blessed with gold to bring goat hair. It's not equal amounts. It's equal sacrifice. And so this is kind of how it might break down. You can say, well, what can I pray about? Where would I find myself on that chart? There's some frequently asked questions, creative ways to give. We're also giving you today uh, the commitment card. We're not taking these now or next week. November 8th, we'll make our commitments, our sacrificial, faith-filled steps of obedience to our Lord. Did you know one of the greatest signs of worship is giving? It's giving. Giving back to the Lord who has given everything to us. And we don't want to just spring these on you on November 8th. So we want you to look at it, read through it, pray about it, and ask the question, God, what would you have me to do? Not only on November 8th are we going to make our commitments as a church for the next three years over and above, but we're also going to take a first fruit offering. There's been a lot of questions about this. The first fruit offering is, we believe, going to be the largest one Sunday offering we've ever had in the history of Orchard Church. It's not in addition to the commitments. It's part of the commitments. It's kind of like our first step, our first fruits. It's, it's a down payment. So for instance, let's say God lays on your heart that we're going to give $20,000 to the legacy campaign over the next three years, and we're going to bring a check for 10% of that $2,000 on First Fruits Day, then you pay the other $18,000 over the next three years. So it's not commitment plus, it's a down payment. Does that make sense? Okay, if you have any questions about that, come see me. But you say, well, why are we doing a First Fruit offering? Because we want to know that we're all in from day one. We're invested from day one. And we get a little bit of traction and a little bit of excitement. L let me put it to you this way. Would you rather the Broncos score three points in the first quarter today or 21 points in the first quarter today? Wouldn't it be nice to see them get out of the gate a little quicker and not have to wait on the defense in the last two minutes? Aren't we tired of that? You know, I mean, wouldn't it be nice to relax and enjoy the game and not be biting our nails all the way to the end? This is an opportunity with our first fruit offering. We're asking you to pray, God, what would you have me to do to make the most significant commitment I've ever made and to bring the most significant check on that day? And how exciting would it be that we get out of the gate with several thousand, hundred thousand dollars right out of the gate? Wouldn't that be exciting, Orchard Church? That's what we're talking about. And we've got traction and we've got momentum and we're all in from day one. That's what, we're, what, what this is about. And so be praying about that. I want to close with a couple of thoughts. Maxwell, John Maxwell said this, a vision that doesn't cost you something is just a daydream. I love that statement. A vision that doesn't cost you something is just a daydream. And God has given us a God-sized vision. He gave us a God-sized vision 10 years ago, and he's given us a God-sized vision for the next two, 10 years. And now listen, you can't do everything. I can't do everything. But we can all do something. Amen, Orchard Church? We can all take Nehemiah's example and follow it and say, somebody's got to do something about this, and it might as well be me. And I can't do everything, but I can do something. And I'm an ordinary person, but I believe as I take a step of faith, God is going to do extraordinary 
extraordinary things. Leaving a legacy is where it, becomes, it goes from we to me to see hundreds of thousands of lives changed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, Orchard, I want you to hear this loud and clear. Legacy campaign is not about us putting up the walls of a building. It's about restoring the walls of broken lives. We got to get our eyes off of the building and on the people that are going to come in and out of that building. Because if that's not why we're doing this, then we're doing it for the wrong reasons. And I want you to know this from the bottom of my heart. Shelly and I would never, ever, as your pastor, I would never, ever ask you guys to do something that I'm not willing to do. And that I'm not willing to lead the way in. And you guys have just been hearing about legacy for a few weeks. We've been preparing for this for about six months. And so as we've been preparing for this, God has been working in our heart. What is our commitment toward legacy going to be? And I remember one day we were driving in the car a couple months ago, and Shelly and I both had a number in mind. And we got all excited because our number was the same. And we were like, okay, well, that's our number. And then about two weeks later, we both started talking. And we both said, I don't think that number's large enough. And she goes like, yeah, I don't think that number's large enough. So we raised our, our number. And then a couple more weeks went by, and then we started talking again, and God blessed us in some ways in our life that we weren't prepared for. And we said, well, I think God has blessed us with this so we can be more of a blessing and give more back to God. And so listen, let me tell you, Orchard Church, nobody is looking forward to November 8th to come here quicker than we are. Because the longer it is, the more God keeps working in our heart, and the number keeps getting higher and higher. I'm like, come on, November 8th. And I just want you guys to know, I want to be as transparent and real as possible. I've never asked you guys to do something that we're not willing to do. And I don't want to get too specific and too detailed, but I want to tell you how God has worked in our heart up to this point. Shelly and I have always had a dream of not just being tithers. We've always tithed. 20 years of marriage, we've always tithed. We've always given more than 10% of our gross income. We've given to Faith Promise. Or we've given to missionaries. We've given to feeding, feeding centers. We've always talked about, wouldn't it be fun someday to be a twither? Not a tither, a twither. Where we give 20%. And we have committed, at the very least, that's what we're going to do for three years of this legacy campaign. And we're going to take that step of faith. And actually, we're going to even do a little bit more than that because we've kind of got a rounded number. I like to work in rounded numbers. And that didn't quite round, so we rounded up. And, and I want you to, I, I, can I just be real with you guys? I would never ask you to do something that we're not willing to do. And I'm asking you to join us and join God in what he's doing in this place to Take ordinary people in an ordinary church and to do an extraordinary thing for God's glory and God's honor. Amen? Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the story of Nehemiah. May we follow his testimony and his example that we would be willing to be legacy builders. To look back on this time in our life and our church and not look at a building that we built, but look at a faith that was built in our lives. As steps of obedience were built, as, as you did supernatural things to reach more people for Christ and know that we have a part in that. Lord, we pray that you do the extraordinary through ordinary people. That, that you would break our hearts, the things that breaks your heart, which is lost people. And that we would truly leave a legacy. His heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment this, this morning, church. I mean, I ask you... For this commitment this morning. We're not asking for any financial commitments this morning. But I'm going to ask you for this commitment. How many of you at Orchard Church would say, you know what? God has spoken to my heart. I want to be a part of what God is doing. I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I want to be in the game. I want to know that my life is leaving a lasting imprint. And I want to be a legacy builder. And I want to do my part. And I commit today to begin praying. God, what do you want me to do?
If that's your heart's desire, can I pray for you this morning? Would you slip up your hand all across this auditorium? God bless you. Thank you. God bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I pray that we would align our hearts with your plans and your purposes. Not our greed, not our selfishness, not our luxuries, but about leaving a spiritual legacy. And Lord, we know that we only give to you what you've already given to us. And no sacrifice that we make will ever equal the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. And may we in some small way seek to share with others what's been shared with us. May our heart break for the things that breaks your heart. May we, like Nehemiah, be willing to sit down and cry about lost people. May we be willing to kneel down and pray that our hearts would align with your hearts. And may we be willing to stand up and act and put our faith into action. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I got some wonderful news for you. 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe looked down on mankind and realized that without God intervening and doing something about our sin debt, we would be separated from God for all eternity. And God realized there's nothing that we could do about it. And so God himself said, somebody's got to do something about this to save these people. And it might as well be me. And he stepped out of heaven and he came to earth and he died on the cross to pay for our sins. And he offers you the gift of eternal life today. A relationship with him and a home in heaven. And all you have to do is receive that gift. If that's you today, you've never made that decision. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now in this place. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith. It's, it's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you put faith behind it, you can invite Jesus, the God that paid your debt, to come into your life today as your Lord and Savior. If that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me? It goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you, and I call on you today to come into my life. Save me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Change my life. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me. Thank you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I never want to do that. But if you just prayed that prayer of faith, I would love the privilege and honor to pray for you that you would grow in your relationship with Jesus from this day forward. Could you just slip up your hand if you prayed that prayer of faith? God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes. I prayed that prayer of faith today and I meant it. God bless you. Thank you. Several people. Thank you. Father, thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you today. May we... Keep that at the forefront of our mind. That's what legacy is all about. Continuing to see people connected to your son, Jesus Christ, in a life-changing way. Thank you for all the lives we've seen touched and changed in the last 10 years. And may we see hundreds and thousands more reached with the gospel in the next 10 years. And know that we've had a part in it. And thank you that you invite us to have a part in something of such eternal value. I pray that those that put their faith and trust in you today would grow in their relationship with you. I pray that we would be ordinary people seeing you do extraordinary things as we leave a legacy for your honor and your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate some decisions for Christ this morning? Amen. If you made a decision for Christ this morning, please let us know about that on your connection card. Drop in the offering bucket and go by so we can continue to pray for you. If you are a first-time guest, 
Thanks for being our first-time guest here. Um, I thank you for bearing with us in this time. We're not always talking about money and commitments, but this is a historic time in the life of our church. And so this, we're not asking for any money from you guests. We just want to get to know you. Um, and what we are asking for you this morning is if you filled out your guest connection card, please drop that in the offering bucket when it goes by um, because we're not interested in your money, but we're interested in you. Let us know who you are. We'll send you a thank you note and a gift in the mail. Um, you do not want to miss next week as we continue in Nehemiah because how how many of you guys have noticed any time God is at work, there's always going to be naysayers. There's an enemy wanting to stop the work of God. And we're going to see that in these two guys, Sambalot and Tobiah. And it's, it's funny and it's sad all at the same time. You do not want to miss next week. Because we know here at Orchard Church, as much as God is at work, we got an enemy that's pretty ticked off. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we know who's going to win. Amen? So you don't want to miss that next week in Nehemiah. Let's stand as we close the song of worship. God bless you guys. Be sure to get your brochures on your way out.